May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Most of the time we, when we think about Palm Sunday, we use the version from the Synoptic Gospels, which is a little bit different from John's version. So today we've had John's version. And I uh, used that video clip because it's also based on John. So there are some differences between John and the Synoptics, the other three, Matthew, Mark and Luke. Uh, in the other ones, there is a real sense of triumph, isn't there? We talk about judge. Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And things go pear-shaped after the events of Palm Sunday. But in John's Gospel, they're already pear-shaped. So there's much less of a feeling of triumph about John's version of the story. So in John's version of the story, before Jesus even comes back from Galilee to Judea. So one of the things about John's Gospel is he's the one that gives us this three-year cycle. He's the one that says Jesus goes to Jerusalem three times. So we talk about Jesus having a three-year ministry based on John's Gospel. The, the Synoptics, he only goes to Jerusalem once, so it could all happen in one year. So um, this is the third time Jesus returns to Jerusalem. And before he comes back, when he hears that Lazarus is sick, uh, and then they dawdle around in Galilee for a while. When he says, well, I'm going to go back now because my friend Lazarus has died, the disciples say, don't go. If you go, they will kill you. So there is already danger. And Thomas, the courageous, says, if you go, we will go with you and die with you. So then they go back and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, which excites some people. But for the leaders, the leading Judeans, the people in authority, this was not a good thing. Because that meant his fame was going to grow. And uh, if you can raise people from the dead, that makes you kind of famous. So um, they don't like this. And they decide that Jesus has to die. And they decide that Lazarus has to die. And they put out a price on his head. They say, if anyone can tell us where Jesus is, we will give you some money. So Jesus' response to that is to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. So he knows what's going on, and he rides into Jerusalem on his donkey. But there's all this intrigue going around in the background. It's not a triumphant entrance, and part of why I liked that uh, film clip we just saw, apart from Jesus has lovely green eyes, which doesn't just annoys me. Um, Jesus did not have green eyes. He was a Middle Eastern Jew, so um, squat, curly hair, and a big hook nose and dark eyes. Um, so uh, is that Jesus isn't all happy and joyful and shaking people's hands and waving at the crowds, which he often is in those kind of scenes. This one is much more true to John, which is he's pensive. And the disciples would have been pensive, apart from, I think that's Judas, who's kind of hiding in the background, grinning and thinking this is all good, good stuff. Uh, and in fact, where that clip finishes, Jesus isn't looking up at the Romans, he's looking up at the temple. The Antonio uh, is right on the back of the temple. The Romans built their fortress on the, on the, on the edge of the temple Mount, so they could keep an eye on what was going on there. So Jesus rides into Jerusalem. 
on this day, which is just before this festival, which is fraught. It's fraught for the Romans, as I said last week. It's fraught because Passover is all about when the Jews were rescued from slavery in Egypt and the Egyptians got drowned and they were brought into the Promised Land. So I always had this kind of insurgent feel about it. Is When is God going to rescue them from the being under the foot of the Romans? When is God going to rescue them from these corrupt high priests? When is God going to rescue them from Herod's son and his incompetence and, uh, and all that he had? When was God going to come and restore the temple and restore uh, the glory of God to the temple and restore the reign of David? So, and that happened every Passover. So the Romans wouldn't have stood around in their fortress and watched this crowd going past. They would have dealt with that. That was the kind of thing that they were on guard for and would have nipped in the bud. If Jesus had gone anywhere near the Antonio, he wouldn't have got much further. So there's that going on. And uh, and then the crowd... Uh, sorry, he's riding on a donkey. Well, we'll come back to that. So the crowd is singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. So that's the kind of thing they're looking for. That's a, that's a cry for God coming and rescuing them. It is a cry of insurgency. So we read it as a lovely religious thing, and we say it every Sunday at the Eucharist, but actually at those times, it's an insurgency. They are looking for revolution. And in fact, when the revolution comes, it starts in the temple. The temple guard assassinates the high priest and his family and, the, and all the leading priests and their families. So they just had enough, the, the very people that were supposed to rescue them. So the temple was always a fraught place for everyone. Now, as Jesus rides in on his donkey, the crowd are calling out Hosanna, and they are acclaiming him as king. They're waving their palms. This is not the first time in John's Gospel that people have acclaimed Jesus as king. There are two, I think there are two other times, at least one other time. And... Each time they were looking for this kind of king who would rescue them from the Romans, rescue them from the high priests, and would restore the kingdom of Israel as they understood it. And each time Jesus withdraws, he escapes, he goes back into the wilderness and reminds himself of who he really is in God. And that is not that kind of king. So as he is riding into Jerusalem... That's the kind of king they're calling for. That's what those hosannas are all about. And his choosing to use this obscure passage from Zechariah, like we think, oh, well, everyone would have known what he was doing when he was on that donkey. They would have remembered Zechariah. No, they didn't get it. And John tells us they didn't get it. That line from that video clip, a prophet on a donkey... That's exactly what would have been going through the disciples' minds. Why is he on a donkey? What is going on here? And John says, much later, they go, Oh, that's what that was about. Oh, well, that makes sense. Zechariah, actually, they hunt and try to find the passages that will make sense of what he did. And when he's riding a donkey... Well, he's not on a, on a war horse, is he? 
That's what people wanted, a king on a war horse. That's what they were looking for, a king on a war horse that would lead the revolt. So he rides a donkey, which does not meet their expectations at all. And it's a statement about the kind of king that he is and how that kingdom will come into being. And it will not be through force of arms. It will not be through violence. And his kingdom is not a kingdom that is based on force of arms. That's Rome. Rome's peace is based on their very efficient, very well-drilled, very brutal army who can deal with anyone who opposes them quickly and efficiently, and if they live long enough, they get to go on a cross as a reminder of why you don't get in the way of Rome. So Jesus riding on a donkey is saying, this is not the way of God. There are a whole lot of Christians in the world today who need to go back to the story and rethink their understanding of Jesus. Because that is, I mean, they've just adopted Rome and plastered Jesus over the top and said this is how Christians should act. But the whole point of the donkey is that's not how Christians should act. Followers of Christ. And so the early church for the first one or two hundred years, if you were a follower of Christ, you could not be in the Roman army. And a number of the early martyrs were Roman soldiers who became Christians and said, I resign, which you actually couldn't do. So they ended up being dead. So they were willing to follow that through to that point. Well, one of the commentators I read said, every Palm Sunday we get little palm crosses and, and like at our 9.30 service, we wave our palms and we shout Hosanna. And he says, well, what is it that we're looking for in Jesus? Like all those original people who waved their palms and shouted Hosanna, had it all wrong, entirely wrong. In John's Gospel, so the other three Gospels, Jesus then goes into the temple. In John's Gospel, he's already done that. So in John's Gospel, we, the very next thing is, so where we get to, the next thing is some Greeks want to see Jesus, and they go and see Philip, who sees Andrew, they go and see Jesus, and Jesus says, Now has my hour come. That's the very next thing in John's Gospel. So in John's Gospel, he doesn't go into the temple. He rides through this crowd who are claiming him king. And then he has this little bit of teaching about now his hour has come. And then the rest of the Gospel, he is not with the crowds. He is with Jesus. So effectively, he withdraws again. So the other times he's acclaimed king, he withdraws. This time he has one last block of teaching, and then the rest of the time he's just with the disciples. He effectively withdraws again. Because that is not the kind of king that he is. So, when we get our palm crosses, as we look at that story, as we say our hosannas, what kind of king are we looking for in Jesus? And in what ways have we got it wrong? Like we just assume that we're on this side of the crucifixion that we have always got it right. But John's Palm Sunday always invites us to think 
How have we got the story wrong? How have we got our ideas about Jesus wrong? So there's some questions, I think, perhaps, that may come up. Yeah, look at that. So here's some questions to think about for a minute or two about this Palm Sunday. What is it you wave your palms for? And what in Jesus do you welcome today? And then the crunchy question, what hopes or expectations will Jesus have no part in meeting? All those people that welcomed him to Jerusalem had all these hopes and expectations and he just rode through them and on. He had no part in meeting those hopes and expectations. And then... How does the story affect you, influence you, challenge you, change you? If you want to, you can talk to your neighbour. But I realise this is 8 o'clock. So you might want to just sit quietly and to reflect on those questions to yourself. It's up to you. Well, just pause for about a minute and then Bonnie will lead us on and I think we'll go on to the crease.